You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're tuned in to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host from ESPN.com, Chad Dundas, and joining us, as always, from USA Today and MMAJunkie.com, it's Ben Folks. Ben, by now, anyone who has made it 20 seconds into the show knows that we have a new theme song for the Co-Main Event Podcast, although it may not have been exactly the one that they were expecting if they followed the voting online. As I assume everybody did, just eagerly watching that voting. As it turned out, we had some trouble with the online voting portion of the contest. I believe you referred to it as a malfeasance at uh, one point. It, uh, well, I know it was a clusterfuck, <laughs> and that is probably the fault of the co-main event podcast more than anyone else. I blame voter fraud. Uh, as it turned out, the, uh, the winning, I guess the entry that, that garnered the most votes uh, had been the beneficiary of a social media campaign started not by the guy who who turned in the entry, but by one of his friends who uh, I guess is, is really hooked up in the local fight community uh, in the city where they live, causing a huge influx of votes for his entry. Not technically illegal. No. See, that's the because thing. Because we didn't bother to make any rules, really. Because we didn't bother to make any rules about the online voting, which I guess, man, when you think about it, that's just naive. <laughs> like we should have, we should have thought of that, but didn't. We put our trust in uh, the the goodwill of our listeners, and look where that got us. Well, I, I think two things about it. One, number one, since since we didn't specifically say that that would be frowned upon, I think that we have to recognize the victory. Number two, though. Since the lion's share of the votes came from people who don't listen to the podcast, it doesn't really serve our our listenership in any way. So essentially, I'm calling it a tie. And uh, we've got the, the, the entry that would have been the top vote getter, which is the one we used to introduce the podcast today. Uh, you know, we're, we'll go back and forth for a few weeks between that one and the and the one that got a boost from uh, from the local fight community. In a, in a major American city. Basically, you're wielding the iron fist of a dictator. That's what is, I'm hearing. Is that what you think? Yeah. I prefer to think of it as I'm like, uh, the, the, you know, the, the agent of compromise over here. Mm -hmm. King fucking Solomon. You know who was an awesome agent of compromise? Stalin. Now, that's just an unfair comparison. Yeah, because he had an awesome mustache. And what do you got? I guess I'll get to work on it. Yeah. I guess I will. Uh, long story short, all five of the uh, of the finalists are going to get prizes. We'll send those out this week. Right, Ben? We'll send those out this week. Well, this week-ish. This week-ish. Uh, good work by everyone. Um, coming up in between rounds this week, we're going to showcase some of the entries where people actually wrote songs about the podcast, but that didn't make the finals. Yeah, Who but that? I thought showed a lot of ingenuity. Yeah, so people will get to hear those, um, and uh, coming up real soon, we will start the uh, the White Elephant uh, essay contest, second annual, maybe next week, we don't know, depends on if we get it together or not. Yeah, who knows, who knows what we do, maybe we actually make some goddamn rules this time. As usual though, this week's show comes to you in three rounds. Round number one may not be the most exciting round this week, but it's going to be pretty technical. 
Very technical. Whatever that means. And in round number two, speaking of being technical or not technical, we're about a week away from Jose Aldo defending his featherweight crown at UFC 163 against Chan Sung Jung. Who's that? Which is the nickname of the guy whose real name is Korean Zombie. Oh, Korean Zombie. Okay. And in round number three, how long before Zufa stops offering its programming in English and just goes all Portuguese all the time? Obrigado. That's the only thing I got. All that plus, are you fucking kidding me? And just saying stuff. That was pretty good, though. That's more Portuguese than I know. You know, and that's from uh, a little over a week spent in Brazil, my man. And that's the only thing. What I does that mean? Up. Is that just like saying, opa? Uh, it's like, thank you, I think. Okay. I was u- I was using it as a thank you the entire time I was there. So I really hope that's what it means. I think it's that's like saying, stipe. Stipe. Before we do any of that stuff, though, uh, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. The first piece of listener mail comes to us from Kane this week, spelled K-A-N-E, so we know that it's WWE Kane and not oh, Kane okay. from the Bible. All right. Or I guess it could be Kane from Menace to Society. You know, I want to hear a question from any of those people. Although Kane from Menace to Society, spoiler alert, he doesn't make it out of that. You know what his film. problem was? Uh, giving too much of a fuck. That's right. We that, know who survived Menace to Society. He was just acting like a little bitch right now, as I remember <laughs> from the show. Anyway, Kane writes, just watching the Melvin Gillard Mac Danzig fight again on Sunday. And did you guys see Mac Danzig screaming in pain just before they did some self editing and cut away? I did see that. Uh, my question is, who the fuck, in all caps, <laughs> makes Danzig stand there while they announce the winner? He had that, I'd rather be anywhere but here look, and he clearly didn't even know where here was at that moment. Dude was fucked up. Then the camera goes right to his face for a solid five second close up. That type of shit is what is what's outrageous about this sport. Huh. Egregious even. Okay. Uh, also, also, as a side note, are you fucking kidding me with that stupid fucking ref? Should have stopped the fight when Danzig went down and clearly lost function of his arms. That means he was hit in the head enough to stop the fight. And then a second at the end, are you fucking kidding me? Wow. So now that we've read it, it seems more like Kane from Menace of Society. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like if, if Kane from pro wrestling gets behind a keyboard it just starts flowing out of him man. If he wasn't, it's if he wasn't shackled to the pg uh yeah. requirements of wwe programming yeah. okay the thing about the the mac Danzig thing good points here raised by kane uh but also i received a tweet from somebody who said that they're at the key arena saying that mac Danzig basically woke up screaming uh oh. When he finally regained consciousness. Uh, so, yeah, clearly he was messed up. And then, as uh, my MMA junkie colleague John Morgan pointed out, they had him just walking around afterwards, walking out of the cage under his own power. Uh, and John Morgan's pointing out, hey, Washington State Athletic Commission, maybe the dude who just got knocked totally unconscious mere moments ago uh, shouldn't just be like walking down the stairs under his own power. You just don't know what's going to happen there. So, yeah. Maybe a lot of a lot of weird stuff going on there. There were some high profile instances where I'm not necessarily sure that the uh Washington State Athletic Commission put its best foot forward if there is such a thing. Although, you know, if you live out here in Montana, you have come to expect shit like that from people from Washington. Yeah. That and that they just cannot drive. Can't drive for shit. You can be two miles away from someone on the freeway and see them driving like an asshole from that distance and be like, Oh, 
motherfucker from Washington. Yep, here we go. And then you get close to him and confirm it with the license plate. Sure enough. How about Melvin Gillard, though? He looked outstanding in his effort. He's one of those dudes that when he is able to put it all together like that on a a night and, and, and get the W, you're reminded that he, when he's at his fullest potential, is one of the best lightweights out there. He just has... Uh, a flaw in the armor, I guess you could say, that uh, he allows. Would that be him- his life, his personal <laughs> life. I'm not sure if it's well. I, it's not. I don't know if it's his personal life, but he will get choked out. He is not afraid to do that. Yeah, if you put him on the ground. He will allow you to choke him. He also is so unpredictable. I mean, he had a great win here, so I assume he has to lose like three in a row now, right? Uh, lose three in a row, maybe get arrested for something, get kicked out of another gym. Who knows? And I thought that was kind of interesting too. That mm. when we mentioned his gym travels on the UFC broadcast, and and they mentioned, oh, you know, that he was thinking about going back to Jackson's and instead considered went to Grudge. <laughs> didn't I considered it until they said publicly that they didn't want him back, would not let him come back. Didn't mention that part on the broadcast though. So wait, are you trying to tell me that the UFC glossed over a fact that might not reflect? wonderfully on one of the people in a fight that they were commenting on at the time because i do not believe you, you sir i do not believe you <laughs> you hate to even suggest such a thing but the, it might have happened the second might have been an oversight the second piece of listener mail this week comes to us from john oaks he writes as i watched edwards versus crookshank i thought hey great fight too bad they have no chance at a bonus because it's going to go to herman versus smith in thus analyzing how i could know so early in the card The difference I noted between the two fights was a little something called striking defense, which if you think about it, is sort of an important element in a fight. Go figure. Imagine if two football teams failed to field linebackers. I think that would result in a penalty. Anyway, uh, sure, it would be a much higher scoring game, but would it be a better game for that fact? There were some great displays of resilience, but if that is what we value. Let's just start a sport where we all just throw paint cans at Ed Herman's face for 15 minutes. Sure. There was the occasional combo or head faint, but if Mr. Miyagi saw that fight, he'd have Herman son over at his house, painting a fence in a heartbeat. As much as we can all appreciate grit. Do you think it's an insult to the sport? We love when we celebrate people for what usually amounts to sucking at grappling and foot movement and being great at plotting around giving and receiving pot shots. First of all, that new sport where we throw paint cans at Ed Herman's head, you can't tell me that doesn't get on Axis TV. No, man, that sounds awesome. That's That sounds better than uh, than bare-knuckle pit fighting yeah. or whatever that was on the... <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll watch that. Also, I think this raises a good point. I do I do as well. Um, and I believe it's one we've talked about before, although perhaps maybe briefly. Yeah, the Ed Herman-Trevor Smith fight is one where both guys are just like, well, I'm just going to haul off and hit him in the face as hard as I can and not worry about what's coming back. And like both of them seemed to think it was going to be over by knockout at any second, which it looked like it could be. Uh, and you can tell that that does have the makings of what the UFC likes to do as fight of the night. And then you see Darren Crookshank and Eve Edwards. I thought this was going to be a question maybe about where were the rest of Darren Crookshank's shorts uh, when he showed up to fight Eve Edwards. Uh, but yeah, that one a way more technical as i'm sure we'll get into the use of the term uh a lot more like actual like defense and and strategy and stuff going on in that fight and yet you could tell yeah no chance at fight of the night and yet at the same time if you ask me which of those i said oh shit during i gotta admit it was the ed herman trevor smith one right and we've talked about a little bit in the past about how 
I'm not crazy about the UFC's discretionary bonus system because I think among many other reasons to dislike it, one of the things that it does is encourages guys to fight that way. And it doesn't do that for everybody, obviously. Uh, and, and certainly, as I think we'll discuss in round one, it's possible to have a fight of the night caliber fight while still doing it relatively smartly and, and doing it with some, uh, some strategery, I guess you would say. Uh, but at the same time, for dudes who are mid-level fighters, like, I don't know, Ed Herman, I guess, for example, um, it certainly makes more financial sense for you to go out there and swing for the fences than it does for you to fight almost any other way because you know you got a good shot of, of bringing home uh, uh, some bonus money, which is probably well above what you stand to make without it. You know what I mean? Like more than double your pay if you go out there without uh, any any sort of regard for your face or, or your future cognitive ability. Yeah. But then it also, though, you watch that and you could tell during that fight, like, okay, this is an exciting fight. But I don't know, does that necessarily make it a good fight? Like, if dudes are just going to be standing there wailing away on each other, uh, does that, just because it's fun to watch dudes get hit in the face, does that necessarily make it a good fight? I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's we could probably do a, a whole round on that someday, and maybe we will. Yeah, one of these uh, slow weeks, who knows. Third question this week comes to us from Mark Triglioni. He writes, I had an epiphany on Saturday night after watching Demetrius Johnson's interview with Joe Rogan when he was asked about the importance of getting a finish. When it, when the response of it was, it wasn't important to me at all, when the response of, it wasn't important to me at all, hit my ears, something in my brain changed. For the first time, I thought, well, that's okay, I guess. I've always valued fighters who, quote, fight to the finish as I looked at it. Those were the guys who were, as, as because I looked at, be, well, this is just hard to read, my friend. <laughs> I've always valued fighters who fight to finish as I looked at it as those were guys who were, quote, playing to win. Got to clean some of that up if you want to have a hope in the essay contest. The definition of, quote, playing to win in MMA has changed. Even though I understand why this is so, I kind of resent it. Does that make me a fucking barbarian? I started watching MMA because of guys like Igor Prokrajak, really? Chuck Liddell, and Minotaro Nogira. See, I Does feel he... like he threw Igor Prokrajak <laughs> in there just to fuck with us. Yeah, no one started watching MMA because of Igor Pokrajak. One of those things is not like the other. Uh, it was the fighters who had a desire to submit or beat the absolute fuck out of the other guy that made me get into MMA and eventually what made me watch this sport over the NF NFL, NHL, or MLB. I really enjoy the technical aspect of fighting, especially jujitsu. So from context, I'm going to take that jujitsu is technical. Okay. All right, well, well, moving on. Stick that in your back pocket. It's for not later. like I want MMA to be a slobber knocker and to be all slobber knockers and joint dislocations. I just want to see the killer instinct. Does this make me an asshole? I feel like old man Dundas of MMA telling these kids to get off my lawn. First of all, when Demetrius Johnson said that, that it didn't, that it wasn't important at all for him to get the finish, uh, my first thought was, I don't believe you. That's right. Yes, he was lying. And I think you could tell that he was <laughs> lying from the way that he fought the fight. Where exactly. he was clearly way, way ahead, uh, going into the championship rounds and continued to just go after John Moraga over and over again until he finally did hook up the arm bar and, and get the submission. You could tell that that meant something to yeah, him. Yeah. Otherwise, why would you be going for an arm bar that could put you on your back, uh, in the fifth round of a fight that you're clearly winning on the scorecards? You know, there, there would be no reason to do that if it wasn't important to you to get the finish. I think he said that because he didn't want to admit that not finishing in those earlier fights uh was somehow a knock on him or that you know he was 
responding to the the public criticism of him. I, I don't think he wanted to open up that can of worms. I can see why. But obviously, that is a dude who went out there really looking to finish that fight. Uh, I don't, you got to think it's at least in part to response to some of the people claiming that, you know, he's boring, that he just goes in there, bounces around and point fights. Uh, I think he wanted to shut those people up and, you know, having a great fight where you finish the guy in the fifth round, that's a pretty good way to shut people up. Yeah, I agree. And more to, uh, Mark Triglione's question here. No, man, that doesn't make you a barbarian. You like what you like. You shouldn't be embarrassed about it or have second thoughts. If that's, if that's the kind of fighting you're into, I think that that's a hundred percent fine. I would just ask that you please don't denigrate the dudes that go out there and win by decision because to me, I've always felt like that's still just as valid of a way to win. And, and one of the things that we do in this sport that I don't like is, uh, uh, you know, uh, discriminate against those guys because we have all these different labels for them, like point fighters and they're not exciting and blah, 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 blah. And to me, the point has always been, you know, it is a sport. It's not just a fight. It's a fight, but it's also something greater than just a fight. And the fact that there's strategy and a, a good deal of preparation and training and that these guys actually know what they're doing, that's kind of what separates the sport of, of mixed martial arts. Well, that and the rules, I suppose, uh, from a bar fight that you might go watch at 2 a.m. So when dudes come out and, and are just clearly uh, so much better than the other guy that they can impose their game plan. And if the game plan is to take a dude down and, and break his spirit, so to speak, by, by just wearing him out for three or five rounds, personally, I'm totally cool with that. But I also totally understand how in a, in a visceral way, people like to see knockouts and whatnot. So don't feel bad, man. Just my advice to you would be enjoy it all. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Don't, don't place all these judgments on yourself. Let's do one more. Uh, this question from Jerry Truvell, Rory McDonald, nickname Aries, big fan of Roy. However, I've been going back and forth debating whether or not this is a good nickname. And by going back and forth, I mean, 87% of the time, I think it's leaning on the side of lame. Do you guys think Ram is the way to go for Rory Aries McDonald's nickname? Now, see, the thing about this question is like a lot of people, I think it assumes that Rory McDonald's nickname Aries is because that's his Zodiac sign. However, I couldn't help but notice on the Twitter machine this weekend that our own Ben Folks did some intrepid investigative reporting. Tell the people what you found out. Dude's a cancer. And that is not a very cool nickname. Well, Rory also, the Cancer McDonald. Uh, I misspelled the Aries. I spelled it with the I, like the Zodiac sign. It's really A-R-E-S, the, the god of war. Right. My problem with that nickname is that it's clearly a nickname that the dude came up with himself. Yes. And you can't give yourself a nickname, especially if you're going to nickname yourself after the god of war. That is a bullshit thing to do. It's unseemly. There's no way that you were sitting around in the gym talking with your buddies and they were like, dude, you know who you remind me of? The god of war. I'm going to start calling you Ares, dude. Like, there's no way that happened. The water boy, his previous nickname. Now, that's one I believe that the dudes in the gym gave to you because you were weird and violent. Like, that's one that seems apt, you know. But that's my problem mainly with that nickname is that it just if, – if it's clearly something where you were just trying to sit around and come up with something awesome to call yourself – no, dude, that's bullshit. That's as bullshit as like trying to come up with a nickname just because it rhymes or something. Yeah, it sort of uh, uh, undermines the point of what a nickname is supposed to be, right? Like it's not just a name you come up. Uh, never mind. Anyway, that. Uh, oh, also though, hey, the Ram, 
Rory the Ram McDonald. There you go. I'm into it. I'm into that Reminds too. me of Randy the Ram from the movie The Wrestler. And it might be a little bit less bullshit because uh, Jerry Truvell gave it to Rory McDonald on our show. There you go. Did not a self-applied nickname, even though it plays off of a self-applied nickname. Well, that's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, comment, or concern you want to air to the podcast in the future, you guys know how to get in touch with us. Go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says, email the podcast. That should work for you. As for right now, let's go ahead and get started with round number one. Now we just finished listener mail. We have three rounds of action to go. Just saying, are you fucking kidding me? I'm Ted Dungeons with Ben fucking folks. We'll touch base on every topic under the sun. Mixed martial arts, master tweet, bitter predictions. Our hot wise, bad impressions, mispronouncing names. It's the Rem One. It's the Rem One. It's the Rem One. Let's start round one indeed. Ben, the co-main event and the main event of this past weekend's UFC on Fox 8 card couldn't have been more different. And yet, both are quite instructive, I believe, for the purposes of us filling some time talking on our podcast. Would you go so far as to say a study in contrast? A study in contrast, as the co-main event featuring Rory the Ram McDonald and Jake Ellenberger uh, pretty much underwhelmed, as I think that was a fight a lot of people were really excited for, and it didn't play out to be the uh, exciting slugfest uh, that a lot of people thought it was going to be. And then the flyweight fight featuring Demetrius Johnson defending his title against John Moraga in the main event uh, maybe exceeded expectations, because there was a lot of talk about how we didn't really know what to expect from this fight and uh, hadn't really seen John Moraga on a maiden card before. And then uh, Demetrius Johnson came out and and worked a gem, I guess you would say, and got a finish in the end, as we discussed dur- during the intro. Um, I don't see a lot of times why we try to make this uh, distinction between being quote-unquote technical and then having an exciting fight, as if you can't do both at the same time yeah. or do neither. But uh, <laughs> I thought Demetrius Johnson kind of uh, did a good job showing that, hey, man, you can go out there and have a great game plan, be wonderfully technically superior to your opponent, and still put on an exciting show. Well, I think that it kind of goes back to what we were talking about with Ed Herman and Trevor Smith, that there was a fight that was fun to watch, not terribly technical. Um, and so especially from a guy who... No one has ever doubted whether Demetrius Johnson was technically sound and or had great cardio. We knew those things about him. What we didn't know uh, was whether he could really go out there against top guys and put somebody away in a title fight, uh, which he showed us he could. I think the thing that people were reacting to with the Roy McDonald-Jake Ellenberger fight was that not just that it was boring, which it was, uh, or that you know it, it wasn't finished, that it went to decision, because I think a lot of the fights that we later claim are great fights went to go to decision. Uh, but that was one where it became pr- pretty clear early on that Jake Ellenberger wasn't going to do much, that yeah. he didn't really have much of an answer for Roy McDonald's jab. And so you kept waiting for like phase two of Roy McDonald's plan, like phase one, stun him with the jab, throw him off his game, you know, mission accomplished. And then what? And there were times in there watching those dudes fight where you're just like, do they know it's only three rounds? Do they know it's going to be over soon? Because nobody's really going after it here. And it seemed like with Jake Ellenberger, he just kind of froze up, 
didn't have an answer for that jab, didn't really know what to do after that. Um, but Roy McDonald seemed like he realized pretty early on, oh, okay, I can just do this and win. Then I'll just do that and I'll run out the clock. I think that's what fans are upset about, especially after all the shit talk between the two of them. Yeah. And I think that was part of it. And a lot of times I go, I, you know, on this show, I defend guys who have good game plans and, and technical fights and go out there and fight what a lot of people describe as boring fights. I, I, I really like to watch George St. Pierre fight because of the, the things I think he's able to accomplish in the cage. And I've never been one of the guys that, that was going to really lampoon John Fitch for fighting the way he did. But at the same time, this was not that fight, right? This was more inactivity than anything else. And I felt like that amounted to it being considered a boring fight. Uh, and I think that you made a really good point that it seems like neither guy really ever got to phase two and neither guy really, uh, made it appear as though he had a phase two, which in the case of, of Jake Ellenberger, Ellenberger didn't have a phase one. That's right. Well, in the case of Ellenberger, I thought it was really disappointing. And I think if there's blame to go around here, then I think you have to say that the onus was really on Jake Ellenberger to try to make this a more exciting fight because I, th- I thought it came out. He, I thought it looked like he came out with a strategy, like he was going to try to counter Rory McDonald's jab and, when, when that's your strategy, man, and you go out there and it turns out that that's not going to work, it's pretty much on you to switch, switch it up and find something that does work, especially as you said, in a three round fight where once you dig yourself into a hole, it's awfully hard to dig yourself out of it. You don't have a lot of time to do it. And really, you know, if you're trying to win a decision, you only get three, three rounds to do that in. So yeah, in the end, it wasn't a great fight. Although I will say this. I don't think it was so terrible of a fight that it's one that we're going to be talking about years from now as, oh my God, remember the, remember the stinker between Jake Ellenberger and Rory McDonald? Yeah, it's not, uh, it's not Shamrock versus Severin in Michigan where they wouldn't let them touch each other under fear of arrest, right? Um, <laughs> uh, what was the one, the, uh, Ivan Salivary one? Uh, Ivan, was it Al- Ivan Salivary and Nate Marquardt? Oh yeah, that one was boring. Also, uh, Kevin Jordan and Gabriel Gonzaga, I believe. Right up until the end when right. Gabriel Gonzaga knocked him out and broke his jaw, yeah. So in the case of, of Ellenberger versus Rory McDonald, obviously I think it was a better fight than any of those examples. Also, I'm gonna say, this wasn't a great fight, and you know what? That's okay. They're, they don't all have to be fucking slobber knockers. They're not all gonna be awesome fights, man. This is sports. One of the things that makes it awesome is that we never know what's going to happen. And as my friend uh, Tyler Gilman would say, the highs wouldn't be as high without the lows. <laughs> okay, fair point. However, from a practical standpoint for the UFC uh, trying to really gain some momentum with its Fox deal, if you look at this situation, I mean, I feel like this is another way where the flyweights ended up getting screwed even when they did awesome. Because how many people turned away during that either during the Roy McDonald Jake Ellenberger fight or then when they threw it back for a bunch of talking before the main event it's like you you had a pretty good fight card going if you just tuned into Fox you know you had the the women's fight with Liz Carmouche and Jessica Andrade and and then uh, Robbie Lawler going all beast mode uh and then it just grinds to a halt with Roy McDonald Ram and Jake Ellenberger uh, and then, you know, they try and amp up for the main event. I mean, I wonder how many people just weren't even on the channel anymore or weren't even in front of their TVs by the time you got to Demetrius Johnson and John Moraga, which was a fight that really deserves some attention. Yeah, fair point. And I think from a, a UFC's perspective, obviously, that wasn't what you wanted on live television, where you got to believe they're still trying to put their best foot forward for the Fox audience, for those old grandmas that 
accidentally left their TVs on after Bones. Yeah, thought they were watching Cops. <laughs> but I mean, I thought, you know, Dana White said it after this event that the only thing that they can do really is put dudes like Rory McDonald and Jake Ellenberger in the cage together and see what happens. And, you know, on paper, it looked like an awesome matchup. It looked like it was going to be the greatest thing of all time, which I think is one of the reasons why we were so disappointed that it, that it, it turned out to be not as great as we were expecting it was. And I wonder maybe if it was just essentially a product of having two guys in there who were essentially so evenly matched. And at the same time where the stakes were high enough that nobody really wanted to make a mistake that eh, they sort of fought to this stalemate, right? Because I think you can make the case that by contrast in the Demetrius Johnson, John Moraga fight, one of the reasons that it turned out to be so good was that, Demetrius Johnson kind of outclassed John Moraga in a lot of areas. He was yeah. sort of able to do whatever he wanted out there. Uh, and, and so he did. And that kind of made it exci- an exciting fight, especially when, you know, at the same time, you know that Moraga still got the ability to knock him out and it did yeah. end up stunning him late in the fight. And that was the thing, too, that Moraga, when he realized that he was not going to win this on the scorecards, he seemed to have the appropriate reaction of like, all right, well, now it's time to just load up and, and throw those bungalows and hope for the best. You know, he did not back down from that challenge at all. Uh, and I think it's very different from what you saw there where Jake Ellenberger didn't do much and then responded to that by continuing to not do much. I mean, he kind of got his, his wrestling game going a little bit there in the third round, but not enough. The thing I think is probably going to play worse for Roy McDonald than anything is his response to it. Uh, I think if you have a fight like that, if you're Roy McDonald, if you're the Ram, there's two things you can do. Uh, one is you can blame the other guy. And be like, hey, I was in there. I was the only one doing anything. Blame that guy because he just stood around. Although then people are going to want to know, well, then why didn't you just steamroll him when he wasn't doing anything? Um, or two, you can be like, yeah, that was not a great fight. I, I apologize. That was kind of shitty. I was hoping for something better. Uh, and if you do either one of those, especially if you do the second one and are willing to kind of take the lumps whether or not you think you deserve them or not, People will forget it pretty quickly. He went for option number three, which is to claim that, you know, he did awesome. And like one quote from him after the fight, I was focused on the task at hand and I was waiting for the knockout to come. Now, at what point when you're throwing a bunch of jabs, are you thinking like, all right, this is the knockout jab. This is the one that knocks him out. I mean, he wasn't really, I mean, maybe waiting for the knockout to come is the most apt way to put it because he wasn't really doing a whole lot to try and pursue that. It clearly seemed like he saw, okay, I can win this way, and it's really, really low risk, and so I'm just going to keep doing that. And for a guy who you know, ended up losing that fight to Carlos Condit that he looked like he had won, you can understand why maybe that was a lesson he took away from that. Uh, but trying to claim that you know he did everything right there, yeah, that's not really going to work on the people who are booing you as you're leaving the arena. Yeah, um, uh, that's a... That's a good point. Um, and in the case of the of the UFC not necessarily getting what they wanted to out of this fight, and and Rory McDonald being a little bit unrepentant after the fight to to uh, admit that maybe he could have done things differently, he probably didn't help his case as a number one contender in the welterweight division, especially since you know we're, we don't even know who's going to emerge with the title from the George St Pierre Johnny Hendricks fight that we already have scheduled and it's not like welterweight is a shallow division there's a lot of dudes kicking around out there who could potentially work their way up for a title fight so i think in Rory McDonald's best interest it's probably to uh 
if you do get another fight in the interim, which it seems to me like they'll probably do, I have a hard time believing that they would boost him to number one contendership on the heels of this kind of lackluster yeah, Dana win. White did not sound pleased. No, he did not. Um, you know, maybe try to do a thing a little a little bit differently in the in in the next fight that you get. However, you know, it, it, even if he didn't put the best foot forward to to build up the audience for the UFC on Fox, maybe he didn't do a good job as the lead in uh, for the flyweights. I don't know. Maybe we're overestimating how detrimental that can be. I, if we're talking about the casual MMA fan who I think we've already decided that we don't care about, uh, we as hardcore fans, I think, are going to be a little bit more uh, discerning and a little bit tougher on the sport than maybe those guys are. I don't know that if you had just tuned into this fight card, not having no idea what it was and tried to watch it. I don't know if you would have been so bored that you would have turned the TV off. Oh, hell yes. Well, you would have changed the channel. I think if you're a casual fight fan who just kind of heard that there were some fights on free TV and you weren't doing anything, so you might as well turn it on. I don't think there's any way you make it to the end of that fight. Really? No. Hmm, I think Not if you have any other channels. <laughs> Maybe that's my fault. Maybe that's my Shawshank problem. Shawshank Redemption's on TNT. Doesn't even matter where in the movie you are. <laughs> you can just pick that one up. Well, the good thing about Shawshank is that you know where you are because you've seen it a hundred times on yeah, TNT Yeah, and you before. probably have the DVD, but there's no we're going to actually get up from the couch and put the DVD in. <laughs> well, let's do uh, Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we will move on to round number two. Ben, what's your Are You Fucking Kidding Me for this week? My Are You Fucking Kidding Me goes out to uh, the little intro package uh, that the UFC ran that referred to uh, Melvin Gillard as, uh, I believe, explosive and ultra-athletic. Uh, and I believe the other guy referred to or, or whose athleticism was referenced uh, in the intro was Demetrius Johnson. Now, for those of you who don't know, athletic and explosive seem to have just become stand-in terms for fighters that basically mean he's black. He's a black guy. And we just call him athletic and explosive. Uh, for some reason, we don't apply to, to white fighters or fighters of other races. Are you fucking kidding me, though, that this slips all the way into the, the package without somebody realizing, hey, wait a minute, maybe we're just playing into, like, the worst stereotypes here? Yeah, Are you kidding me? You'd think there would be some editing done Someone there. along the line might say, maybe we could find some other adjectives. Although, you know, on this, the topic of whether or not that was, you know, this was a good show for the UFC to, to, to try to build their audience on Fox. One of the things that's, that struck me while we were watching it is that they could really do a lot to, to clean up the content of the broadcast for these Fox shows. If there's a bunch of people out there who we assume are not really MMA fans who are watching this, uh, the, the broadcast team and the, the, the production stuff, aside from the video vi vignettes, which I think are great, but, uh, you love those videos. I do vignettes. love them. I think they do a great job with them. Uh, they pretty much act like this is just any other UFC show on pay-per-view that people paid to watch that you know is a bunch of hardcore fans. Like during the Rory McDonald, uh, Jake Ellenberger fight where Mike Goldberg said, you know, the first time we saw Jake or uh, Rory McDonald fight, he was 19 years old. And then Joe Rogan chimed in and now he's a scary psycho, which <laughs> like if you don't know anything about those dudes and you're just some casual guy sitting on the on the couch watching it, don't you think that's a little weird that that's one of the ways that they describe the one of the fighters? In or the how during uh, one fight you keep hearing the audio from the uh, Jermaine Durandamy and uh, Julie Kedzie fight dumped in over and over again, like several times uh, after that fight was over, uh, which seemed weird. I mean, it almost seems like. There are more of those technical issues with Fox cards 
than with pay-per-views. Too many cooks. Maybe that's Too it. Too many cooks. Maybe that's it, Chad Dennis. Ben, you know that there's no way that I could let this week go by without pointing out the alleged plans by Viacom and Bellator to have an end-of-the-year fight between Quentin Rampage Jackson and Roy Jones Jr. Are you fucking kidding me? We were just talking about the possibility of Roy Jones Jr. fighting Anderson Silva like a week ago. So at this point, it's clear that Roy Jones Jr. is just out trolling for some sort of aging MMA fighter that he could get into a fight with. Are you fucking kidding me, Roy Jones? Fucking kidding me? I got a, a quote from the MMA Junkie story about it uh, from from Stephen Morocco, uh, quoting an, an anonymous member of the Wolf Slayer camp, I believe here. Uh, We've been talking to Roy and his people over a potential Rampage versus Roy fight for over seven months, said a representative from Jackson's longtime Wolf Slayer MMA team. Uh, if it happens, it would be an incredible fight. Boxing and MMA have both been discussed, and Bellator chairman and CEO Bjorn Rebney has been in the discussions every step of the way. I can't say much more than that. We'll see what happens. Are you fucking kidding me, dude? Are you kidding me? Jesus Christ. Anyway, that's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. Co-main event, you ain't kidding me. Tips for the fight fan master tweets. You're saying stuff, listen to mail. CME. Now introduce the show. So Nigel, please. You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. Well, Chad, the UFC is headed back to the HSBC Arena in Rio de Janeiro this weekend for a fight between one Jose Aldo and a man known as the Korean Zombie, according to all the fight posters I keep seeing down at the press box where I take my meals. Uh, now, I kind of wonder about, do we not think that people can handle Chan Sung Yung? Do we not think that, that regular fight fans can, can deal with that? Or are we just deciding that the Korean Zombie is the man's name from now on? Because that seems like a weird thing to do. Yeah, well, first of all, before we get into this, is your wife back? Did she get back from her trip? She arrived back home today, as well, a matter good, of fact. Because I was starting to get worried about you. Uh, you know, we we kind of let it slide by last week on the <laughs> podcast that you had eaten two breakfasts at one of Missoula's just altogether worst breakfast spots. And then as the days started to go by, I started to wonder, like, should I have said something? Should I have <laughs> should I have offered him a helping hand or or tried to do some sort of intervention? Well, the thing is, you don't want to eat at a nice breakfast place when you're alone and, let's be honest, extremely hungover. Like, you want a place where it's not going to seem weird that you're like some dude who hasn't shaved in eight days uh, sitting there with bloodshot eyes. Like, you want a place where... Things are already so weird, nobody's going to say anything. The press box is that place. Even still, I feel like that is sinking pretty low. So I wanted to make this offer to you. I will be your sponsor. <laughs> the next time you are afraid you're going to go eat breakfast at the press box, just call me. I'll talk you down. Uh, I'll give you some other options. Maybe we can get together. We can pray a little. Uh, and uh, we'll work through it. We'll find a different place for you to eat. You lost just me at Just one day at a time. You lost me. Anyway, to the UFC's credit, Ben, it's not as though they're they're pretending that Chan Sung Jung or Chan Sung Yung is not. This is called Korean Zombie. The Korean Zombie's name. They, you know, they they put it up on the screen before his highlight packages, but it is clear that they have decided that Korean Zombie is the much more, uh, I guess, marketable 
uh, or maybe uh, uh, remember easier to remember. What are you supposed to think? I mean, we talk about the casual fight fans thing. You see that poster? It says Korean zombie on it. How are you supposed to think that this is real? Well, that's one of the things I was talking about during the last round when I said there's a lot of stuff on the broadcast that they could really clean up. Is that when Joe Rogan and Dana White are talking about the fight, they just continually refer to this dude as Korean zombie and also say that he earned his nickname by his ridiculous and inhuman ability to endure punishment, which I guess sounds cool. Uh, if you'd have no idea what these guys are talking about and you feel like somebody, somebody who's a zombie is going to get the shit beat out of them on, <laughs> on, uh, 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 on pay-per-view television. But at the same time, dude, really weird. Am I right? Especially since if you've seen any of this latest zombie movies during the zombie craze, like you would think all Jose Aldo is going to have to do is punch this zombie in the head one time and his head will explode and everything. It'll just, the fight will be over. Yeah, in a one-on-one situation, zombies really aren't that terrifying. Well, and I wonder if maybe that's what the UFC has decided is like, okay, this is the thing that sells this fight. No one's going to believe that this is like a super competitive uh, title fight. So instead, we're going to have to sell them on the hope that Jose Aldo is going to dish out just an incredible ass whipping and the Korean zombie is so hard headed that he's just going to be able to take it. And that's, what's going to be exciting about it. Which if you're, uh, if you are the Korean zombie, I'm not sure that I would be that pumped about that, <laughs> that method of selling the fight. They're essentially saying, uh, Jose Aldo is going to beat the shit out of this guy so bad that his inhuman and ridiculous ability to absorb punishment will even be tested. So you should definitely tune in. It's definitely definitely going to be worth fifty four ninety nine or whatever. Uh, yeah, because you don't want to see that in regular D. You want to watch that in HD. Oh man, that's a that that calls for HD right there. Um, and I guess I don't know. I mean, on one hand, it seems like the UFC maybe is a little between a rock and a hard place here because obviously they expected Anthony Pettis would be the guy that that Jose Aldo was going to fight in this fight uh, until Anthony Pettis had to. Pull out with an injury and then fast forwarded himself into a higher profile, uh, a higher weight title fight against Benson Henderson. Uh, and so they decided to pull uh, Chan Sung Jung out of his fight with Ricardo Lamas and, and, and insert him into this title fight, which just seemed to piss off everyone in the featherweight division. Um, and, and so, you know, maybe once this decision is made, I guess, uh, out of necessity more than anything else, then I guess you have to kind of circle back around and figure out the way to to justify it and, and, and make it seem like something people are going to want to pay to watch. Yeah, I also feel like, man, I think it would be tough enough to come off a really long injury layoff and fight Jose Aldo. Like that right there, that's a lot to ask of anybody. And then to ask the dude to go down to Brazil and do it, Seem like that's the extra step where it starts to seem kind of unfair to the guy. I mean, what's he going to say? He's, he's not going to say no to a title fight, right? He's going to jump in there and, and, and take a swing at it. But man, that is a rough thing to ask. Yeah, he hasn't fought since uh, May of last year when he when he uh, d- defeated Dustin Poirier in the uh, uh at the uh, fuel show. Um, awesome fight, by the way. It was an awesome fight. And uh it's not like Chan Sung Jung totally doesn't deserve this. Like he's really, really out of place. He does have a three fight win streak. He's got that win over, over Mark Hominick and I guess also a win over Leonard Garcia, which maybe doesn't seem quite as, uh, awesome as perhaps it once did. But, uh, he's got a nice little win streak going and he's a guy who certainly will be game and show up to fight. And as we've been told, a guy will accept an inhuman amount of punishment. And I guess that's what we're looking for in an opponent for, uh, for Jose Aldo. But I don't know, man. It's, it's, 
I guess maybe this is what we've been talking about the whole time, but I'm not excited about it. It's like if if we're if we're supposed to be excited for a UFC main event, I guess this could be a fun fight to watch, but it's not like I'm going into it with the expectation that I'm going to see a particularly relevant uh, featherweight clash or that I, I'm expecting uh, the Korean zombie to pull out a win over Jose Aldo or anything crazy like that. Probably Jose Aldo goes out there and beats him up for a while, and then we, we get a stoppage and we're... And we go home. Best case scenario, we're, we're home before 10, 1030. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Aldo is about a seven to one favorite. Uh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. You know, but I was looking at this fight card, especially, you know, you compare the main card here, right? Where you got the, the featherweight title fight at the, at the top. Then you got kind of a contender showdown with, uh, Leota Machida and Phil Davis. Uh, and then of course, you know, because we're in Brazil, you got to throw some Brazilian dudes on there and fill out the rest of it. Uh, I compare that main card with the one we just saw on Fox. And I don't know if this is a, a shot at this pay-per-view or a credit to how well the UFC is improving the lineup in the Fox cards, but it's tough to compare those two and tell me why this one is going to cost me $55 and that one was free. I don't see a huge difference in quality. It almost feels like maybe they should have just combined them into one show. Right. Instead of having no, we don't a, do that. No. 100 shows a year, they could have just put no. this one together and had Machida versus Davis and then we're having 99 Jung shows a year. Jose that, Aldo that and do. Jake Ellenberger versus Roy McDonald and Demetrius Johnson versus John Moraga all on one card. I don't know. I'm just spitballing. I'm just seeing <laughs> what sticks. You know what I mean? No, but you're right, man. I don't. I don't think the buy rate will be too pretty on this one, at least domestically. Maybe uh, maybe internationally they'll they'll, uh, they'll get a bump or something. I'm not. I'm not sure. But again, like clearly they expected this to be Anthony Pettis against Jose Aldo, a fight that would have done much better at the uh, True. at the pay-per-view box office, so to speak. Yeah, but I don't know if Anthony Pettis has an inhuman ability to absorb punishment. No, clearly he does not because uh, – Just a regular human he, ability. He just has a Wolverine-esque ability to recover from punishment <laughs> in time to take some other guy's title shot at a different weight class. Is that is that right? That's right. Anyway, I suppose that's going to do it for our discussion of the upcoming. What are we doing? UFC 163. Is that what this is? That's right. UFC 163 work, main event. Uh, as for right now, we're going to go ahead and move on to round number three. Well, Ben, as you mentioned in the last round, this weekend, the UFC ventures back to its home away from home in Brazil this weekend for UFC 163. This will be the fourth Brazilian card this year with at least one more already on the schedule for September 4th when uh, Glover Teixeira is going to fight Ryan Bader. Uh, we also heard some rumors this week that uh, they were trying to set up Tim Kennedy versus Vitor Belfort also for, for down in... Uh, in Brazil, although the latest we heard is that maybe that that fight's not going to go off because Vitor Belfort is not is not thrilled about it, not feeling it. Yeah, he'd rather fight at heavyweight, he says, than than fight Tim Kennedy because that makes a ton of sense. Uh, but you know this, so this is the fourth card in Brazil so far this year, as compared to nine fights in the United States, two in Canada, two in Europe, and one in Japan. Uh, couldn't be any clearer at this point what the uh, 
what the UFC's biggest developing market is, or for that matter, internationally, where I guess they think they're making the most money. Yeah, I mean, you look at it, and they're basically in Brazil once a month for the next few months. I mean, it, and I get it that oh, that Brazilian market seems like something that you can just dip back into whenever you want to. Hey, throw a couple dudes named Tales and Tiago on the card. Doesn't really matter who they are, and the Brazilian fans will show up, even though, as we've heard from such Brazilian fans as Pedro the Wolf on this podcast, maybe they're not so excited about being depended on as the dudes will pay for absolutely anything as long as you put some Brazilians on there. They also want to see the big fights from you know guys from all over the place. Uh, it does just start to feel, though, at some point, like, what do you tell those fans in Canada, also known as the old Brazil, uh, or the UK, the old, old Brazil for the UFC, when you know they're always asking, hey, why aren't, when are you coming here, bringing big fight cards? Uh, and instead, it's just like back to Brazil over and over and over again. And it's also back to Brazil with cards that aren't necessarily that great because, you know, they don't have to be. That doesn't seem like it serves anyone's purposes, you know? Yeah, and that's the thing that, that, that really tweaks me more than anything else because, like I've said before in the past, I don't really care where the UFC has its fights. You know, nine times out of ten, I'm watching them from my couch where it always looks the same except for the Brazilian flags and the beers raining down on, on press row. So to me, they could go anywhere and have these fights, and I really wouldn't give a damn, except that when they do go to Brazil, as you mentioned, it seems like they totally switch up their uh, theory on matchmaking and how to put together a card that that uh, an international audience is going to want to watch. This one seems like it's 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 totally tailored toward a, a live crowd in Brazil or maybe the uh, – the TV audience in Brazil. This is another, yet another Brazilian card where there's a bunch of dudes on it. Frankly, I've never heard of before. Uh, clearly the Jose Aldo, Leota Machida fights at the top of the card are, are ones that you would want to watch no matter where they have them. But then this middleweight fight, uh, between Cesar Ferrara and Tiago Santos. Go figure, dude. I mean, I know those guys, <laughs> at least one of those guys has a fight in the UFC prior to this, but, uh, man. Couldn't tell you who those guys are. And I do a podcast on the subject. I don't, yeah. Don't know if you've ever heard it. No. It's called no. the co-main event podcast. I'm going to, I'll check it out. Check that out, days. man. Yeah. You'd like it. You know, and the thing too is when you add in the element of we're not exactly sure how great the athletic commission, uh, the, the pretty new athletic commission in Brazil is. And then you get situations like the one with Vitor Belfort fighting over and over in Brazil. I think it just adds another little tweak to, to the formula because like when the UFC started getting some heat for having Vitor Belfort fight down in Brazil over and over again. And Dana White's response was, well, he's going to fight back in the U S again. We're not hiding him out down there. He will fight and he'll go through the process with his TRT exemption. That's what he's going to do. Uh, and you know, they'll sort that out. So it's not like we're, we're keeping him there. And then when asked about Vitor's next fight, uh, we're thinking Tim Kennedy in Brazil, you know, I don't know how much longer they think that they can pull that off without it becoming pretty obvious what they're doing. It's what you can tell us all you want that you're not hiding the guy away in Brazil or that you're only putting him in Brazil because that's where he does, you know, big, big ticket sales or something like that. But at a certain point, man, everybody else gets to move around a little bit more. That dude stays in Brazil. That's just one more reason for us to wonder uh, what it is the UFC likes about the Brazilian market. Well, uh, have you ever tried to get a young dinosaur on a plane? It is not easy. <laughs> Customs can be a bitch when you're trying to move a young dinosaur around the world. Uh, more to the point, though, 
this alleged fight, which I guess it's up in the air now about whether or not it's going to happen. Vitor says he doesn't want it, but a lot of times the UFC has a way of uh, getting its way, I guess you would yeah. say, at the end. So, you know, it's, it still seems that like it, it's at least a possibility that we might see it. Kind of seems like a punishment fight for Tim Kennedy yes, in a does. lot of ways. Not only the fact that uh, he has to fight Vitor Belfort, who is on this upswing and, and, uh, is currently renowned for kicking fools in their damn faces, but also has to fight him in Brazil where the oversight is going to be uh, questionable, I guess you would say, at best. And uh, Tim Kennedy, uh, previous to this, has always been a guy who has never minced words, has never hit his feelings, has always been kind of a... Uh, uh, very forthcoming in interviews, I think, if I'm not mistaken, forthcoming on the TRT issue very, as well. Very, very. Uh, has talked about how he's not pleased that that's one of the things guys are are doing to try to get a leg up on the competition these days. So, I don't know, man. Maybe it's a test for him. Maybe the UFC is like, well, let's give Tim Kennedy this fight that that ordinarily he would just complain to high heaven about up and down for months leading up to it. Eh, we'll just see what he does. Well, you know, and... You can look at it a couple different ways, I think. Like, you're right that it does seem like, uh, maybe they're not giving Tim Kennedy this fight because they thought he did so great in the Hodger Gracie fight that let's give him a huge bump up in competition. Uh, but because, yeah, hey, let's throw him in there and see how he does against this guy. Uh, and I can also see why, from Vitor Belfort's perspective, if you think you're already right there at the top of the middleweight division, that, you know, this fight doesn't seem to really do that much for you. Uh, I'm, it's curious, though. I want to read you this quote uh, from uh, Vitor Belfort's wife, uh, Joanna Prado, uh, explaining why she doesn't think it's a good fight for Vitor. Uh, this is from uh, Globo, uh, I assume translated uh, into English. Um, quote, it makes no sense for Vitor, who is ranked number one, to fight number two, number six, or number ten in this category. His next fight in the middleweight division will be against the winner of Chris Weidman versus Anderson Silva. If the UFC wants him to fight in any other category above average, we are available. It can be against anyone, Tim Kennedy to Roy Nelson, but it has to be in the light heavyweight division or a catchweight, even in heavyweight. Vitor wants to fight, but in his category only if it is the title fight. That makes no damn sense, Chad Dundas. You're telling me you would fight Tim Kennedy at 190, but you wouldn't fight him in middleweight because you feel like you're already ranked number one? Why? That's, that's, that's dumb. It's not like if you go and get your ass kicked at heavyweight that then you can come back and be like, but hey, still number one middleweight. Why? That didn't even really happen. Like, no, man. It's still going to be a fight and people are still going to judge what they think of you based on how you do in it. I don't see how you can just be like, well, hey, as long as it's not in the division, it's a freebie. Well, my first question is, is Vitor Belfort's wife involved in his career? Has she been involved previously? Is she his manager or something like that? Well, she's his wife. Yeah, I know that, but that's <laughs> that's a different thing than being your manager. Sounds like she's calling some shots here. Yeah, it sounds like she's booking the booking the show yeah. from the way she says it. Uh, I've told you before about how what a bad idea it is to have your girlfriend slash wife be your manager uh, because that's a situation where – uh, you can't fire them. <laughs> and a lot well, of times you can, you but can't there's going to be even, a lot more paperwork involved. That's right. You can't even really tell them what to do. Uh, and the manager's job is to kind of be an asshole. That's what the manager does. It sounds like she's got that part down. Well, she is not his manager. There's not, I don't, she's not operating in an official capacity here. So I think who, she's just where telling us quote, where, where, where Vitor's this, head at. Where did this quote come from? Like who, who, who asked her and where was she? When, why did they ask her? 
You want me to answer all those questions? Yes, I mean, answer. Yes, answer them. They're in the sauna at the gym. They're like, "Hey, what, <laughs> what do you think?" No, isn't that a legitimate question? Like, well, how did this? Where did this quote come from? Where did it? Who who delivered this to us? Yeah, and you don't know? Well, no, it's from Globo, uh, the Brazilian. Uh, oh, so the dude uh, with the nose probably asked. Prob- that. Probably the dude with the fake nose. Uh, yeah, but you know it. If we take it as just like she's kind of the the conduit from Vitor to us, she's telling us what he's thinking in regards to the fight, uh, and obviously there's some some specifics in there that make you think that she probably is. Uh, it's one of those where I'm like, okay, I can understand why Vitor would think that, hey, screw it, I'm just going to sit out until you give me that fight. I mean, we've seen that not go so well for some guys who are waiting for a title shot, uh, but... I can also then not see how you would have that position and then reconcile it with, but I'll fight Roy Nelson because fuck it. <laughs> what is that? What kind of sense does that make? You know who I think seems like he's just going to love it when he finds out that uh, Vitor Belfort's wife is making a lot of declarative statements about what the UFC is going to do next, and that would be Dana White. This seems like something that he will just take to heart and uh, – if not offer her a job, then certainly take her advice on, on the matchmaking moving forward because he is really into that. I don't know if you've noticed this. <laughs> he really is, is welcoming and open to people telling him his business, especially somebody's wife. Yeah, I assume that as soon as that statement started making the the internet rounds, we had somebody on hand at the UFC offices to make sure Dana White didn't fire off a really angry, sexist uh, video tirade, right? I mean, do you think they have a room where they got to put him on lockdown? It's just a, a video machine playing Joe Dirt, and they kind of <laughs> shuffle him in there, wait till he cools down a little bit. Yeah, because you, you can't stay mad after watching some Joe Dirt, right? Put him in one room and that Greatest dude who ever. films his video blog in another room and make sure that they don't... <laughs> They don't get together for at least 24 hours. Uh, anyway, Ben, let's do uh, Just Saying Stuff, and then we'll get out of here for this week. Uh, this week, Ben, my Just Saying Stuff is uh, goes out to the uh, American or the Association of, of Boxing Commissions this next week who are going to take up the issue of what constitutes a downed opponent in MMA at their upcoming meeting. Uh, so hopefully we can do away with the weird gray area where guys are uh, putting their fingers or their hands down on the mat to avoid getting need in the face when they find themselves in sort of a, a dis- disadvantageous position, I guess you would say. Um, and I think it's a good move for them. It, it, you know, that, that rule just creates too much confusion, too much potential for mistakes. And it's good to know that at least the ABC will look into making rule changes when people indicate uh, that things need to be improved and that things aren't maybe working as as well as they could be. Uh, so good for them, I'm just saying. And uh, now if we could just get uh, the, the, the commissions to maybe take a look at another weird loophole in the rules that says guys can shoot themselves up with synthetic testosterone and, and, and get a license for it and everything's fine. Maybe then we could really start uh, moving in the right direction and in, in on more front than just one. You know, I'm just saying, just saying, Chad, I'm just saying that I'm sure you've heard about the biogenesis scandal. I have. I'm all yeah. over it. Miami uh, anti-aging clinic. Yeah. A, a, a South Florida clinic. Uh, and once you hear anti-aging, I think we all know what that's about. It's not about, you know, you going in there, getting a little Botox and some just for men. Uh, we all know that that's a, a kind of code word for PEDs, testosterone, stuff like that. Uh, apparently... According to a, a former employee who's now a, a whistleblower, 
a lot of pro athletes going to get caught up in this thing. Uh, a lot of baseball players, uh, and according to what we hear so far, athletes from a bunch of other sports, including MMA. Now, surprise, surprise, <laughs> surprise. We don't know. Uh, which fighters? We don't know if they're UFC fighters or not. You gotta think that if it includes, you know, guys with enough money to go seek out some kind of anti-aging clinic, then probably some either current or very recently former, uh, UFC fighters stand a pretty good chance of getting caught up in that. Uh, Dana White says that, uh, you know, he doesn't know who might be mentioned in it yet. Uh, and said, quote, if a guy signs a contract with me and then comes out on a list, it's not going to be good. It's going to suck. So clearly a little bit of uh, dread and anticipation here on, on the UFC's part. I'm just saying if some current UFC fighters are on one of these lists that comes out, it's going to be a good time for us to find out how serious the UFC is about stamping out PED use. And it's going to be a time when they're going to be directly compared to other pro sports who are going to take their own action on their own athletes because of this. I'm just saying we might be about to find out something about the UFC's true stance on PED use, especially if it's somebody big who gets on one of those lists. Just saying. And like you just said – if you're if you're a patron of of this anti-aging clinic in particular, chances are you probably got a little bit of money in the bank because they're not giving these services away to, for free to guys like Alex Rodriguez and Ryan Braun. So um, probably not going to be a guy that's pulling down eight and eight. Yeah, you would think it's going to be a six figure guy uh, who's who's able to afford these. Uh, treatments. Yeah. I'm mean, just saying, if you were going to the same chiropractor as Alex Rodriguez, it would probably mean that you are also fucking rich. Not that you both just live near the same strip mall. So probably the same is true for this anti-aging clinic. Yeah. And they're talking about uh, the possibility of banning Alex Rodriguez for life. So that would that would be in stark contrast to, I assume, whatever would happen to uh, the UFC fighter who it turns out allegedly is on the list of... Uh, from the biogenesis clinic. A-Rod yeah. would have to content himself with going home and merely being incredibly wealthy. Yes, just astronomically wealthy beyond our, our wildest imaginations. A-Rod may, may be one of the only dudes who understands what Jay-Z is talking about on that new album. <laughs> anyway, that's going to do it for this week. Next week, we'll be back to recap all the stuff that happens at UFC 163. As for right now, we're done. We're through. We are out. Deep, deep in the Rocky Montana Mountains, there were two lawless dudes shooting from the hip. One was called Anakit Folks, and the other was Chad the Dude Dundas. And together, they would form the gang, the CME Podcast. Good job.